Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Josh from Who Scored and, of course, Jonathan Wilson, as always. How are you, gents? Been better, to be honest, but we'll, uh, yeah. we'll soldier through. And Josh, how are you? I'm all good. I'm all good. Good. Let's crack on then, Josh, with the Champions League team of the week. Some really good games this week that I enjoyed. Who's made the team? Uh, yep, so we're starting goal. Uh, so Porto's goalkeeper, Diego Costa, he made a penalty save against Bayer Leverkusen um, when the score was 0-0. Porto obviously went on to win 2-0, so a massive contribution from him. Into defence, at right back, we've got Rhys James, who ironically keeps out um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who was the next best-rated right back. Uh, he got a goal and an assist in a 3-0 win over AC Milan. Um, the centre-back pairing is Laporte and Chancellor Mbemba. Uh, Laporte um, completed 98 of 105 passes in their easy 5-0 win against Copenhagen and won a penalty. Uh, in Bemba, he scored his first Champions League goal since the 2014-15 season um, as Marseille came from behind to beat Sporting 4-1. Uh, left back, we've got Matthias Oliveira from Napoli. Um, he got an assist in Napoli's massive 6-1 win away to Ajax. Uh, they're having an incredible season. Um, into midfield, we've got Riyad Mahrez. He got his first goal involvements of the season. He got a goal from the penalty spot and an assist against Copenhagen and also made seven key passes. Uh, the central midfield pairing is Jude Bellingham. Uh, he got a goal and an assist as Dortmund captain last night, on Wednesday, sorry. Uh, and then it's Rabiot who joins him in central midfield. He scored a brace against Maccabee Haifa. Um, the left midfielder and also our player of the week is Sadio Mane. He just missed out on a perfect 10 rating. Uh, he got a 9.98. He, he um, got a goal and an assist versus Victoria Pilsen on Tuesday and had six shots and completed seven dribbles. So a pretty action-packed game for him. And then up front, we've got um, Raspadori of Napoli. He got two goals and an assist as, as Napoli came from behind to, to thump Ajax. And completing the team is Erling Haaland. Only played 45 minutes, but scored two goals. And by all accounts, should have probably scored about four more as well. Erling Haaland, Jonathan. Ruining football for me. Really yeah, it's, it's too good. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, what else can you say about him? He's uh, he's extraordinary. I mean, I, I don't, the thing that stood for me midweek was the huge disparity in the performance of the Italian teams. That you'd watch that Juve game against uh, Maccabi Haifa, or you you watch Milan particularly against Chelsea, and you sort of think, yeah, this is the old problem of Serie A that that. Yeah, they're physically not really there. I know Milan had a lot of um, a lot of injuries, uh, but really didn't look anywhere near the level of Chelsea. And and so you know, you sort of think, yeah, it's, it's Serie A's still in that that slough. But you had Inter getting result against Barca, um, a Barca who, I mean, they did exactly what they'd done against Bayern: was played well, didn't take their chances, and then. The thing that concerned me about Barca is how petulant they became in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, albeit I think they probably should have had a late penalty. But Napoli just look on a totally different level. And given the players they lost, to have replaced them as effectively as they have. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see Spalletti doing well because he's one of those coaches who, yeah, you think back yeah, 15 years ago when he was at Roma, looked like a really smart, intelligent coach who was doing interesting things with false nines. And he, he sort of, it feels like he's never quite been able to, 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 to achieve a success he might have done. But this Napoli team, you know, looks stunningly good. And you just hope they can maintain that and, and, and are still in the title race come the end of the season and, and, and possibly go very deep in the Champions League as well. 
Yeah, absolutely blew Ajax away. Did an absolutely phenomenal performance. My team that I enjoyed watching was Leipzig. Not that you get an award or anything for that, but I enjoyed watching them play against Celtic yesterday afternoon. Let's look ahead to the Premier League weekend. Then it's Everton versus Manchester United, and it's the Phil Neville derby. Josh, Frank Lampard, does he deserve some credit? Everton from nowhere, I didn't realise this. They've got the best defensive record in the league. Yeah, they've only conceded seven goals this season, which is as you say, is the best. Um, and it's interesting because on the eye, I think you, Everton certainly do look more compact this season. I think the signings of Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky were exactly the sort of personalities that they needed at the back. I think Connor Cody, as we see, he's regularly picked for England, obviously because previously he could play in that back three. But I think Southgate really enjoys having Cody there for his personality and what he brings off the pitch, probably more than what he does on the pitch, because I'm Sure, there are many defenders that are better than him, but if but he has the right sort of character that you need. Um, and then you've obviously got James Tarkovsky, who just absolutely loves defending. So they've definitely improved in that regard. And I think Everton last season, they ranked mid-table for shots blocked uh, in the Premier League, sorry. And this season, only Palace are blocking more than more than them. So that's definitely the impact of them. And I think Amadou Onana as well in central midfield, I think he's been... Mm, good. He, he's been colossal, like quite literally is colossal. He's... I feel like he grows every time he's on the ball. Um, he's a giant of a of a player, and he, he just seems like the sort of player that's so annoying to play against. He, he's always sort of on your heels, biting at your ankles. It must be a nightmare to play against. And he's had a great impact in the team. Um, but then you sort of look at the data a little bit more, and you do realise that Jordan Pickford's obviously having a monster season. He's our best-rated goalkeeper in the Premier League this season by an absolute mile. Um, and then you also look into XG and you see that Everton, from the chances that they've conceded, the quality of them, they should have conceded six more goals than they have, um, which again is by far and away way more than any other team in the Premier League this season. So is it? can we expect Jordan Pickford to play this good for the whole season? I'd say he's in career best form at the moment. Um, and he's never been at this sort of level before, I would say, and maybe it's unreasonable to expect him to continue that sort of form for the whole season. Um, in which case, when that dip does come, will Everton still look as good defensively? I don't know. But on the eye, I'd say they have certainly improved. But there is also the fact that Jordan Pickford's having an incredible season um, as well, which is what you obviously would hope from him. But maybe it's not Maybe it's not so sustainable. Yeah, I would say the big thing, Jonathan, since Lampard's come in, I can't remember if they ever got pumped when he, when he first came in, but they're always in the game because they've had, they have solidified in, in, in defence. They're always in games. That it's always if they lose, it's it's by one goal. I mean, if they win, it tends to be by one goal as well. But they're, they're always in the game, so they've always got a chance. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. I, mean, I wonder if that's sort of uh, related to something that happened when, when Lampard was at Chelsea, that he did have that run... Uh, I think there was a, a, a ten-game spell in the autumn of his of the season where he ended up getting sacked, where they only let in uh, two goals. But there was three nil-nils in that run. There's a couple of wins against weaker sides, uh, easy wins against weaker sides. I think they beat Krasnodar four-nil, for instance. Um, I, I just wonder whether the issue is he can set up a team to defend or he can set up a team to attack, but he he struggles to get that balance right. But I'd, I'd also be concerned. Yeah, precisely by, by what Josh is saying, that I guess there's two ways of defending. There's 
the body on the line defending, the, the sort of physical defending. And I think Cody Tarkovsky are great at that. And obviously Pickford plays into that as well. Um, Anana to an extent. And I think they're very good at that. And that speaks of, of a great commitment. And, and, and you've got to give Lampard credit for, for, for inspiring players to put bodies on the line. But in the longer term, you need proper structural defending. And I, I, I'm, I'm still not convinced that that's what we've got there. And that, that I think, would explain that discrepancy in, in, in the goals we're actually conceding and the, the XG concedes. Because it's not that Everton has scored. I, mean, I know they've got loads of injuries in the forward line. That perhaps explains it. But they're not scoring millions of goals either. So it, it feels like it's it's just a harder-working, more defensive setup than it has been, which, which perhaps explains the solidity. But if you're not getting goals at the other end, that, that does leave you vulnerable, particularly... If your mode of defending is 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 just chucking yourself in the way of shots, yeah, but they've obviously you've said they've got injuries in, in their front line. You know they've lost their best player as well, their talisman from, from last season. Lampard, there's been questions asked of him as as a manager over, over the years. Obviously, he's not been a manager a, a long time, but I think he has he has harboured something at Everton, hasn't he? I mean, he was always going to be more popular than the previous manager with the Everton fans, Jonathan. But but he has harboured something within Everton that's made them a better team than they were when he arrived. I don't know about that. I think, I mean, Everton last season didn't make a huge amount of sense to me. The, the first, I can't remember, seven, eight games, their record's actually really, under Benitez was actually really good. I think, did they have something like yeah, 14, points well. from, 14 points from seven games? And then they started to get the injuries and everything sort of fell apart. And and that's the problem when you appoint a manager like Benitez. Um, well, sorry, I don't mean like Benitez, a, a manager who there's an obvious reason for the fan base to dislike him, that it means that, that the decline happens much faster. Um, I mean, you saw it with, say, Steve Bruce at Sunderland that it was fine until things started to go wrong, which immediately, ah, you're a Geordie, you're a Newcastle fan. And the same with Benitez, ah, you're a Liverpool manager. The, 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 when people are preconditioned not to not to want you there, it doesn't take much for fans to turn. And Lampard, I think, had the flip side of that at Chelsea, that fans supported him much longer than they might have done another manager, given those performances and those results. I mean, they, they, they're definitely better now than they were say, in March, and they're better now than they were in August. So, you, you, of course, you've got to give Lampard credit for that. I, I'm not entirely convinced that's sustainable. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced yeah, that, that this level is is what will keep them in the job long term. Um, but you have to bear in mind they have had phenomenal numbers of injuries and, and, and that, yeah, more than any other club, I think. And and yeah, Yerry Mina being out is a huge. I mean, he's been out for what, almost a year now since he played regularly, and I think he's a huge loss defensively. Which is why they, yeah, you know, he was one of those physical defenders who, even if the structures are falling apart, he would block shots. He would, he would inspire people. He would win headers. Um, so I don't know. I, I still feel there's a lot of flux around Everton. It's 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 very difficult to to sort of make a definitive judgment. But yes, they're unbeaten in six, and that's that's clearly a. Better than not being unbeaten in six. Of course. And Josh, Manchester United were unbeaten. Not anymore, but I wouldn't lose too much sleep as a Manchester United fan getting turned over by Manchester City. I don't think, well, it is the end of the world because it's your local rival, but I think it won't. Be, they won't be the last team that it happens to. But something strange in Manchester United is the Casemiro situation. Is he not fit at the moment? I presume he's not fit enough to start games because he isn't starting games. But, you know, we're into October now and we've barely seen him, Josh. Yeah, I think patience is probably the hardest thing about football, probably right across the board. I think owners don't have patience and and fans often don't have patience. And I think 
United have been crying out for a defensive midfielder probably for the last 10 years and then they finally go and sign one who's probably been the best in that position for the last five years or so from Real Madrid as well of all teams uh, and he's only played 82 minutes of Premier League football um, so from that sort of side of things I do understand why fans are particularly impatient because I don't think anyone's disputing the fact that Casemiro is clearly a better footballer than than Scott McTominay but I think what Eric Ten Hag's trying to do I think he's trying to change the culture of the club where players are rewarded for performances contracts have to be earned um, and no individual is sort of bigger than the club I guess we've seen that perfect example of Cristiano Ronaldo um, that Ten Hag well apart from saying after the Man City game he didn't bring him on because of his status he has sort of put that status to one side and and just treated Ronaldo like he would any other player um, and he actually he actually was asked about the Casemiro situation in midweek and I'll just read out the quote for you guys it was it is about McTominay sorry he said Brentford he wasn't in the team we lose we won five Scott played one he didn't Sociedad we, lo- we lose for me it's logical I'm sure Casemiro will play a really important role you see every day in training he can contribute so I think what he's doing there is McTominay was in the team and to be fair he was playing well um, and I don't think I, I can certainly see why he didn't start Casemiro against Manchester City because when Casemiro has actually played and it's obviously not been much I actually think he's looked really poor um, defensively especially, which is a concern because I thought at least the one thing he would bring would be a solid to defensive base. But um, but yeah, that was one of my reservations about Manchester United even signing Casemiro in the first place because I still don't know, as we said before, how we went from Frankie de Jong to signing Casemiro um, and the obvious differences in how they play in that, in that same position. Um, but obviously it's early days and you just got to hope that he can sort of come into the into the team naturally, I guess, at this stage, which I'm sure he will do in the Europa League on Thursday. And maybe he will even start against Everton on Sunday because of the fact uh, Manchester United played so poorly in that um, in that Manchester derby. Um, but I can see I can see where Ten Hag is coming from, but it's obviously disappointing that it's taken this long for Casemiro to sort of see any sort of game time. But I'm sure at one point that will come. Casemiro is infinitely better than Scott McTominay. I was going to say, he's got to put Casemiro in at some point, otherwise there was absolutely no point signing him. Jonathan, what do you think of, of McTominay? To me, he's a player over the years that would have been a Manchester United squad player under Alex Ferguson. But he plays every single week for Manchester United and has done for, for a long, long time now. Am I harsh in that assumption? No, I, I would I would entirely agree with that. I, what I don't... I mean, I, I'm not sure the question is as straightforward as Casemiro or McTominay. In a game like City, why mm. would you not play them both? Um, and I know Ericsson's been successful playing in that sort of deeper role, but you know, the the first goal was him not picking up his man. It would be a fairly basic bit of tracking. I mean, I know that yeah, United had, had been battered for eight minutes and probably you know, were slightly punch drunk even by that stage. But still, it's, 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 it's not a difficult bit of, of holding midfielder play. And I think you see Ericsson's uh, shortcomings in that deeper role. Uh, I can I, I see what, what the advantages he brings against you know, maybe weaker opponents. But against City, I, I thought there was an argument there for playing McTominay and Casemiro. And I, I just... Uh, it's, there's two things that concern me about Casemiro now. So one, one which concerned me at the time was... I, I know £60 million as a fee is crazy for a 31-year-old. And I, I know that the kind of... Um, that's the kind of thing that would that would be very tempting for Real Madrid, uh, especially given they had Schermany coming in. 
um, that, that given the hammering they took in the pandemic, getting 60 million quid in, I, I get why they wanted that. But I'm also surprised they were so willing to get rid of the youngest of that midfield three who've who've taken them with such success uh, over the last what well, decade really. Um, so what wh- what was their logic in in getting rid of him? Maybe it was just the money, but maybe they saw something in him that that they they they, they think he can't keep going at that level for much longer. And then yeah, just the fact he's I mean he's played what one and a half Europa League games. You know, eighty odd minutes, as Josh said, in the league. I mean, it can't be a fitness thing because you know he's been there for what? I mean, six weeks now. He played, uh, started both games for Brazil in the international break. So I don't know that 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 would that would worry me that there might maybe there's some yeah you know, something else going on there that that uh, he he's he's not physically up to the challenge of the Premier League. You know, I think I think he's a good signing for Manchester United. I think they they needed someone there, and I think he's better when he's fully fit than the midfielders that they've got. But I think Real Madrid would have, as they did, they got, I bet they couldn't believe their luck when they got that amount of money for someone who's approaching the end of their career because they've got so many good players coming through, young players in, in, being integrated into their midfield. Now, I bet that they couldn't believe it, Real Madrid, and I think it probably comes down to that would be the reason that they took it purely the money because it was a crazy fee. Let's have some score predictions then, Jonathan Everton v Manchester United score prediction, please. 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, Josh. I feel my score predictions Ooh. this week are very, very boring. I mean, you can only you can only play it as you see it, Jonathan. That's all That's yeah. all you can do. I mean, 1-1, one, one, to be honest. That was what I was going to say as well. So I've got 1-1. One, one. Josh? Uh, I've gone for 2-1 to United, although not entirely confident in that. Goodison Park's been, a tough, state. It's been a tough place for United post-Fergie, but um, I'm hoping there'll be a response this weekend. Yeah, do I change my no? I think one one as well. Like I said at the top end, Everton they're all they're always in the game, and there might be some kind of little bit of fragility from Manchester United after the Manchester City game last week. I can certainly see Everton going ahead in that game. So yeah, one one from me. Arsenal Liverpool then. Let's look at that one. William Saliba, one year left on his contract. I mean, he's been he's been at Arsenal a, a, a fair while now, but this has been his breakthrough season. This has been the only season he's he's played for them because of various loan deals. He's looked really, really good. Looked a strong part of that Arsenal defence. Is the contract a slight worry, or do you think he'll just sign a new deal? I don't think it's. it's pro- I wouldn't say it's a worry right now, but I do think Arsenal need to get a move on and sort of cash in on this sort of period that they're enjoying because um, it's not just Saliba I think it's Martinelli and Saka as well who also have contracts that will have a year to go in the summer um, and if it does get towards that time in the back end of this season and they haven't sorted any of those contracts and I'm sure there'll be a lot of big clubs um, well I'm sure big clubs are monitoring it right now but if it does get to that sort of April April May stage and nothing's been sorted then Arsenal would, could be in a very vulnerable position especially if they don't continue the, the start to the season that they've enjoyed uh, if they if they were to somehow miss out on the top four or um, just go on to have a pretty underwhelming season from here, I do think that maybe that could leave them vulnerable. Um, but So, yeah, I think they definitely have to cash in on this sort of moment. Uh, Saliba, I think, has been absolutely amazing. Uh, I wasn't really sure whether he would stay this summer um, because Arteta did seem to be quite dismissive of him um, when he was first loaned out to Marseille. Um, 12 months ago, it did, didn't seem that uh, he was really someone that was in Arteta's thoughts, uh, but maybe I had just misread that sort of situation. But yeah, he sort of reminds me of a bit 
a little bit of Van Dyke in in sort of the way he's so well a peak Van Dyke I should say, um, not so much this season's Van Dyke, but he sort of reminds me of him in the sort of composure he has in sort of certain situations where defenders would usually be, well would be allowed to feel quite unnerved and anxious in times, but he just seems to have so much composure in those areas. I think it was in the Tottenham game where. He, he sort of received the ball in, in Arsenal's penalty area and he was facing Ramsdale, but he just sort of did a cross turn past the, the Tottenham press and just sort of ran out of the box with the ball, where most players would probably have just hoofed that straight out of play, understandably. Um, but yeah, and I think you have Gabriel, who's sort of next to him, who does have the odd mistake, as we saw in the derby, giving away that penalty. And then, but Saliba just doesn't seem to put many things wrong. And obviously, he's also a goal threat, I think. He ranks top of all defenders in the Premier League this season for goal, goal contributions. Um, so he's impacting things at both ends of the pitch and he's slotted in seamlessly. And obviously um, Arteta's had to accommodate that by moving Ben White out to right back where he had previously looked good at centre-back last season. So, so it's a good time for Arsenal at the moment. But like I said, they need really need to sort of cash in on this with the contracts to key players. Is he the number one centre-back now, Jonathan, at Arsenal? Uh, yeah, probably. I think I think you'd say that. Um, I mean, yeah, Gabriel's played very well since he came in, but uh, yeah, I think Saliba's the one who looks absolutely outstanding. So, so yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I can't see there being a better time for Arsenal to go see it than now. Yeah, the, the, the things are only going to get worse form wise, and Saliba's obviously a huge crowd favourite. So, yeah, I think that is something that they it's not it's not urgent, urgent, but it's definitely something that needs sorting sooner rather than later. Often players do have dream clubs that they they want to play for. So many players always say, oh, "I want my dream to play for Barcelona." But if, he, if he's only got this year left on his contract, those kind of clubs, you know, they'll be circling, they'll be talking to his to his agent now, and heads can get turned. Jonathan, yeah, they can. I mean, I guess if you're Arsenal trying to sell it to him, you say, well, "Look, you're 21. You're in a club where you're playing really, really well. The structure works for you. The system works for you. You're, you're clearly comfortable here. The fans absolutely adore you." You know, you will you will always start in this team. It's a team that's growing and getting better. You know, where realistically can 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 give you a better environment. And I, I don't know, but to an extent, if Real Madrid come in, that's always going to be a more exciting environment. But I think the 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 prem, the, the, the financial um, heft of the Premier League means that Arsenal should be able to, to see off most other clubs from abroad. Um, and and I, I think I think the thing you've got to play on is that you will play every week. There's no there's no question about that at the moment. And you you know sign here for another three or four years, stay twenty five, twenty six, and then maybe at your peak you mm. go to go to Real Madrid. Um, I don't know, I also I, I always wonder about players um yeah, do if you if you leave the Premier League to go to Real Madrid, do you not get bored? Like you know, playing your Hetafes, your Levantes, is that not quite easy for you? I I, I don't know. It, it just feels to me at the minute that the Premier League is so obviously a, a higher standard than any other league, which is partly well, largely to do with COVID and the the way the Premier League was able to because of its broadcasting deal. To withstand the worst sort of financial damage of a, of a pandemic, I, I I find it hard to to understand 
Well, I mean, maybe you do just want an easy life, and maybe you do prefer Madrid, and maybe, maybe the the, the cashier of that club is is enough. But I'd like to think if I were a player, I'd want to be testing myself every week rather than yeah having some fairly straightforward games. Yeah, especially at this stage of his career. I mean, at the moment, Saliba. I mean, France have got some incredible options across their whole squad. At the moment, Saliba is going to the World Cup. Josh, one man who probably will go, I, I still think, but probably won't play, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Coming for a lot of heavy criticism, including for, for, including I, I had a little bit of a dig of him on Twitter last week, and you know that like those weird websites, Transfer Tavern. They had like this whole article up about my tweets about Trent, Trent Alexander, Alexander Arnold because he, you know, he was really bad against Brighton the week and defensively he was all over the place, caused them a so, lot. So, yeah, how, how did they describe you? Uh, football journalist, I, I think I was described as Jonathan. You know how it is. You know, can't say <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah. I, I live my life this way. I, I, you know, I go, I go on Twitter, people are making articles up about, about what I say. It's, it's a horrible no, way to sign you. Is it as if it were necessary to sign you've made it? I mean, I don't think transfer tavern are quoting you. I think I think you've moved past transfer tavern. I'm I'm I mean, I'm giving them heavy advertising. <laughs> Everyone's going to be checking them out after this. But yeah, Trent. You know, I watched that game defensively. He was all over the shop. Signs of recovery midweek in the Champions League. Liverpool changed system. Josh four two three one, and that really did help Trent. Yeah, I think um, Klopp was quite revealing about the whole situation in general after the Brighton game. I think he said. Um, even when they were winning 3-2, he didn't feel confident that they wouldn't concede again. And obviously they did concede again. And I think that's quite a big admission from um, Klopp, who obviously Liverpool have become known as sort of mentality monsters, which is by Klopp's own words. Um, but they just have looked so fragile this season all over the pitch. Uh, and Klopp obviously came out of that quite impassioned defence of Alexander-Arnold, as you would expect, um, after the international break. And you can't really argue with, Klopp's methods because offensively Trent Alexander-Arnold is unlike anything we've probably ever seen in that position Um, but he is he is vulnerable defensively and if Liverpool aren't firing in all cylinders as we saw during the Covid season as we saw um, as we've seen this season then he he is found out and obviously as Jonathan said repeated on repeated occasions during this show um, that's why he's not fancied for England because England will never be firing on all cylinders like a Liverpool team because it's just simply not possible with the, the amount of time Southgate has with the players. Um, but Gary, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Gary Neville had a really interesting segment on Monday Night Football. Oh, it was great. About Alexander-Arnold and just the basic things that he's not doing in terms of his positioning in relation to the pitch. And it's, it's he is he is quite basic in a lot of things that he's in his defensive work. Um, and obviously people said that after he scored that free kick in midweek that he had answered his critics, but he he hadn't at all because no one had ever doubted what he can do in the, in the final third. It's all about what he does in and around the box or what he doesn't do in and around the box. And I still can't get over when I sort of replay that goal that Napoli scored against Liverpool where he where the ball was literally just pushed past him and he just sort of just gave up, didn't even try and sort of defend the situation. Um, but yeah, and obviously, as you alluded to, they changed to a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 formation um, in midweek, and that seemed to really help Liverpool. I mean, Rangers didn't really do too much in the way of bringing the game to Liverpool, uh, but Trent wasn't given the same freedom to get forwards. Uh, they had Fabinho was dropped again, which is telling. I think there's been some sort of physical decline there with him, um, but they had greater defensive shape, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that sort of same structure against Arsenal 
but it will be interesting to see how that copes against the team that is on form and will obviously look to win the game that Rangers obviously didn't. In defence of Alexander-Arnold, Jonathan, obviously I watched the game on, on Saturday. Liverpool in general in, in that game, tracking back, some of them look like they're running through a treacle. So, so slow, just a, a lack of intensity, so lethargic at times and just, just easy to play through, which hasn't been what the, what Liverpool have been over the last few years under Klopp. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a physical drop-off this year, which which is understandable. They played every conceivable game they could have played last season. Yeah. And it's a shorter, close season. And we're now getting two games a week from now until the World Cup and then then beyond. Um, and, and, yeah, the, the Alexander-Arnold thing, it's, it's exactly what we've kept on saying that, yeah, there's, there's aspects of his technical defending that, that could do with improvement. But the basic problem is he plays very high because he's reliant on the Liverpool pressing well. And when that press isn't working, he gets exposed. Um, I think that's been complicated by the changes in the forward line that uh, even before Darwin Nunez arrived, having uh, Luis Diaz on the left meant Mane moving into the middle and he obviously wasn't dropping as deep as Firmino, so that meant Salah was playing wider, which meant Alexander-Arnold, rather than overlapping, was at times coming inside. And that means it's even harder for him to get, get back. There's even more space behind him. Uh, I think that's a problem, or not a problem necessarily, but an issue that still needs resolution. Um, possibly this, yeah, I mean, Klopp called it a 4-4-2, but yeah, 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, um, may resolve that. Um, I guess you'd, you'd look at Rangers and you'd say that the way they play that left side of, of um, Kent and Barisic you know, is, is going to be where the threat is. Where you look at Arsenal and Martinelli's form and the way he destroyed Emerson Royale last week, then maybe you do want Alexander-Arnold deeper to, to combat that. And you also then think, well, that the, 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 the disposition of the forward line with Jota playing behind Nunez Maybe Jota in that space as a way of disrupting Party and um, Garnett Xhaka, who've been so effective this season. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that. That I mean, it looked like a four-two-three-one to me, but four-four-two as Klopp called it uh, on on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, who are we to argue with Jurgen Klopp? I knew as soon as I said four-two-three-one, Klopp was pretty adamant that, that it was a four-four-two. But I mean, yeah, they, these are tiny differences, you know. Yes, yeah. it, it's yeah. It's not a question of being right or wrong. It's just, you know, it's a, yeah, clearly Jota is playing deeper than Nunez. So, I mean, you know, we both know, yeah, you, me, and Klopp, we all know what we mean. We've yeah. all seen the double pivot. What you actually call it, I don't think it's that. that yeah, back in the day, you know, when Arsenal used to play 4 4 2, Burkamp was, was deeper. So, technically, that was a, almost a 4 2 3 1, even back in the day. You can, you can look at these things in any kind of different ways. Let's have the combined 11s then, Josh. Looking forward to this because, you know, years gone by and doing this podcast, this would have just been <laughs> Liverpool's 11. Now, it's not the case at all. I'm imagining on four, Arsenal might even have more players in than Liverpool. Yeah, they do. As you say, it's not something that we would have been used to for the last few years, or well, for a long time, really. Um, but yeah, so we've got Alisson in goal. I think things would have been a lot, a lot worse for Liverpool had he not been there. He still produced some some big, big moments, big saves. Uh, the the back three, there's three, is actually two Liverpool, two Arsenal. Sorry, we've got um, Trent Alexander-Arnold holding down the right back, just edging out Ben White, um, largely thanks to his um, offensive productivity. And then the centre-back pairing, which would be a very good one on paper, um, is Van Dijk and Saliba. Obviously, Van Dijk's rating is actually his lowest for some time, but he still gets in ahead of Gabriel in that sort of left-sided centre-back role. And then we've got Zinchenko at left-back. 
and then the rest is all Arsenal players. We've got Granit Xhaka, Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard in midfield. Um, and just on Liverpool's midfield, actually, I think that was probably the final straw for Jurgen Klopp against Brighton. I think for a long time, not the excuse, but one of the reasons we've always thought that Liverpool have looked so um, vulnerable uh, defensively is because they haven't really been able to call on Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago all at the same time enough. Um, but obviously they all started against Brighton and they were all over the place. They could lucky not to be like three or four nil down before they sort of started that comeback. So maybe that was the last drop o'clock to sort of change things uh, tactically. Um, but then, yeah, back to this uh, combined 11 and then it's Saka, Jesus and Martinelli up front. So no Saka, no Diaz, um, no, no, no Liverpool players at all in that sort of front six position. Jonathan, how does yours marry up? You're not going to believe this. I feel like countdown now. It's exactly the same. Really? Yeah. <laughs> An absolute first. For yeah, that's never, that's never happened before. Yeah. Well, I sure. think it's just because Liverpool's form's been so poor this season that... But you'd still surely, if you were, if you were picking... Well, I'm just saying, if you were picking your 11, you've obviously just done that. But you, I mean, You're not it, doing it, yours on form, are you? You're doing yours on yeah, who you think are the best. Oh, you're not doing it on who you think is the... I, I, I thought it was if I was picking a team to play on Sunday... That's yeah, how well, I've always taken the way of doing it. Yeah, and so you you leave out players who are injured or suspended, and you you pick players on form. And at the minute, you wouldn't change that Arsenal front six. No. I, if I was picking a team to to win a game next May, I wouldn't necessarily do that. But I think I'd probably have Diaz in on the left. That would probably be the thing that that I would I change. Martinelli's playing very very well though, and you know he no, works well with Jesus Nodegaard. I'd also find it very difficult not to put Salah in. I know he's not on his best form, but yeah, I, I love Saka cool, as a player, yeah. though. It's difficult. It is a difficult one. Jesus, he, yeah, he's, he's 100% in there. And yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal central midfield at the moment, you have to say, he's better than, than, than Liverpool central midfield. That has been a problem area for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. But for, yeah, for you two to pull out the same team, I, must, I don't like it. I just want to end the podcast. I'm, I, I, I don't, don't know like where to go from here. No, it's, it's, throwing it's throwing me. It's not good. Don't do that again. <laughs> you know, start having to confer with each other before oh, we come on. It's never happened before, so uh, no. Let's have <laughs> some score. From it. Let's have some score predictions. Then I assume you two are going to do exactly the same thing. Josh, I'll come to you first. Well, yeah, I've gone for Arsenal to win two-one because I think it's hard not to side with them. But um, I'll, like I said, I'm interested to see how this four-four-two-four-two-three-one Liverpool system will sort of fare against Arsenal. I think it probably will be closer than what people may think based on the two forms of the teams. I'm torn by this. I don't know what to do. I'll go before Jonathan because otherwise it'll look like I'm just copying him because I've got a feeling we might say the same score. But I'm going to take a risk because that's what I do in this game. I'm going to say Arsenal 2, Liverpool 3. Jonathan? Well, my, my score prediction was written at the top of my page. so you could. Oh, I didn't see it. My eyesight's not that good. It's 1-1. One, one. I've took a risk. 3-2 Liverpool there. They're going to have to get back to their mentality monsters at some point. This would be a good time for them to start. We move on now to the just-a-minute section. Jonathan, you're up first. You've got Bournemouth against Leicester. Yeah, this feels like it could be a key game in the relegation battle already. Uh, Bournemouth have been much improved since Scott Parker left. Uh, under Gary O'Neill, they've uh, drawn three and won the game 3-2 at Forest. That game at Forest sort of, I mean, quite bad the fact they won it. It just stands out as being a game when they weren't in control and defensively they weren't that great. You know, going 2 down at half time. Um, the the other three games only conceded one goal, so two of them have been nil nils. Defensively, I think they they look much better under O'Neill. Uh, Leicester finally got their first win of the season on Monday, beating a really, really, really poor Forest team four nil. 
Um, and goal scoring really hasn't been a problem for them. 36 goals of, uh, in, in, in you know, scored and uh, conceded in their eight games. Only City have had games involving more goals so far this season. Uh, Leicester have a worse defensive record in the league by some margin. Um, they've got the usual injuries, Pereira and Bertrand out and Didi's uh, doubt. David Brooks and like Kelly out for Bournemouth. Um, I, th- I think this will be, be fairly tight. I'm going to go 1-1 again. Is that three 1-1s in a row I've gone for? I, I think, think you it have. Is. I think you have yeah. gone for three 1-1s. Josh? Uh, I've gone for two all. Bournemouth have surprisingly scored four goals in each of their last two home games against Leicester, which is fine strange, but yeah, two all. And I was going to go Bournemouth 1, Leicester 0. This is hard because Le- Leicester's... Go- I mean, the point I didn't really make there is that Bournemouth, Bournemouth games don't have many goals. Leicester's games have lots of goals. What happens? Something's got to. Something's got to give. Yeah, you've, you've had your minute though, Jonathan. You can't be coming. Yeah, here sorry. Yeah, expanded yeah. on it. You know the rules. Yeah. It's just a minute section. The clue yeah. is in the name. Josh Chelsea v Wolves for you. Before I start, though, Dan, I'm a bit disappointed you didn't bring up the leaderboard. Um, well, I thought we were only doing that once a month. I asked no, for no, it every no. single week, and then and then I was told, no, no, we'll do it at the end of the month. And then we did it at the end of the month last week, and then I don't ask, and I get told off for not asking. <laughs> well, I can just say that the leaderboard is completely unchanged. <laughs> everyone oh, got se- everyone got seven points last uh, last week, um, so it's still Jonathan ahead, Dan second by a point, and then who scored last by a, a point further back from Dan. Um, so yeah, probably that last last that minute uh, last minute Chelsea goal cost me three points. Did it? Yeah, and that, and that got who scores three points. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, okay. Was it Ch- Chelsea Wolves? Or Chelsea Wolves, Diego Costa's return to Stamford Bridge. Oh, great shout. Uh, you don't put yeah. that in. That's not in the just uh, a minute. Oh, come <laughs> on. Poor, poor for me. You've helped me out there. Um, Chelsea, they turned in their best performance of the season and probably for some time, actually, uh, in midweek as they battered AC Man 3-0. But it did come at a cost with Wesley Fofana leaving Stamford Bridge on crutches with a, and he's due to have a scan on a, on a knee injury. So it looks like he could be out for quite some time. Uh, Kepa stuck with Potter stuck with Kepa in goal rather than Edouard Mendy, uh, despite him being back on back in the squad. So that's probably a situation to keep an eye out for moving forward. Uh, as for Wolves, they sacked Bruno Lager on Sunday and are yet to point a replacement. Uh, they've won just one of their last 15 Premier League matches, and I don't know if anyone knows this, but Diego Costa um, could return to Stamford Bridge this weekend. Um, they've not they've not scored more than once in a Premier League game since this exact fixture back in May, um, and have really struggled as they have done for a few years to sort of um, adapt to life without a recognised striker. Ruben Neves dropped into the back three last week in a bit of a surprising move, but now he's suspended um, along with Nathan Collins, so something's going to have to change at the back there. Pedro Neto could also miss out, as well as Raul Jimenez, uh, Sasha Kleidic and He Chen Wang. He is also unavailable, so it's not an exciting time to be a Wolves fan at the moment. Um, so I've gone for a 2-0 Chelsea win. Snap, 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0. I've gone 3-0 to Chelsea. Jonathan, your next game is Manchester City-Southampton. Bazuno returning to his old turn. Yeah, I don't understand Southampton at all. Um, I thought in the summer they, they were in a bit of trouble. In fact, they'd only signed young players. I don't really get Hasenhutl, who permanently seems to be on the brink. Um, I think you know, there's, there's rumours again about, about his future. Southampton, yeah, they, 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 they beat Chelsea. They look, look good in that game. But then the last three games after that, they've they've managed to lose to Wolves, Villa, and Everton, which, with the greatest respect, of those three teams are are not sized playing particularly well at the moment. Uh, maybe Everton are coming back, but there's certainly games where they're expected to get points. They only scored one goal in those three games. Having said that, their record against City is 
It's pretty good. Uh, two draws last season. Something about their style seems to trouble City a bit. And City just have that doubt that they have been two goals down in two Premier League games this season. They have drawn two games. Obviously, fundamentally brilliant. And they do have a shortfall at the back of midfield. Rodri's still a doubt. No Phillips and Stones and Walker out. Southampton struggling without Livermento and Lavia. Uh, but I think City should win this comfortably 4-0. I'm going to go 5-1 to Manchester City. Josh? Well, you've got 4-0 as well. The fact that Haaland got that 45-minute break probably doesn't bode well for them or House and Hattel this weekend. No, I'm going 5-1 and Haaland score all five. That, that, that's my <laughs> prediction. Do you get an extra point if that happens? If Haaland scores all five? I think so, yeah. I will okay. give you an extra point for that. No, no, I knew Jonathan wasn't going to like that. That's no. a rule that's just been made up. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to throw in that happens, Jonathan, that you could get an extra point for to, to even it up? Uh, if, if Haaland scores at all. Okay. Yeah, that would be yeah, nice. Fine. That would be yeah. nice. absolute, absolute banker. Uh, keeping up with the returning theme, and Jonathan knows this all too well. Ivan Toner returning to Newcastle. It's Newcastle v Brentford for you, Josh. Uh, oh, I, is it? I thought I had Palace Leeds. It's your script. I'm going off. Oh, good. You have got Palace uh, Leeds, but you've got Newcastle Brentford first. Oh, okay. I haven't done anything for them. Uh, so yeah. Ivan Tony's returning. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, How many Ivan have you done Tony. then? Have you only done two? Uh, I had Palace and Leeds. I thought one. Oh, yeah, I just completely missed them out. <laughs> this is come Four on. Four from me. Ivan Tony, he's back to Newcastle, probably for points of, <laughs> with a points approved. Uh, Brentford have actually been quite disappointing of late. Uh, they smashed Leeds 5 2, but that's been their only win for a, a number of weeks now. They drew 0 0 with, Bo- with Bournemouth last week, following up a 3 0 loss to Arsenal the week before. As for Newcastle, as we sort of predicted last week, without Jao Palhina, uh, they really took advantage of that and <clears throat> and smashed Fulham 4-1. Um, maybe it does seem a result that's been coming for some time, because as we said on this show for a number of number of weeks, it does feel like Newcastle should be higher in the table with better sort of points on the board than they do have. Um, Alan St. Maximin has sort of announced that he could be back very shortly. Um, so with that in mind, I think this is going to be 3-2 to Newcastle. Josh, basically just reading the team's recent results and then heavily padding around that. Then that was that was that was purely and simply what, what you were doing. <laughs> now, Jonathan, your next game is West Ham against Fulham. Do you want my score prediction? Oh, sorry, I didn't do any score prediction. What's yours, Josh? Don't me done about my no, work. No, no, you 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 you're going to criticise someone else. That's what I really bought from it. What was your prediction? Um, Three-two Newcastle. Three-two to Newcastle, Jonathan. Uh, I'm I'm torn between one-nil and two-nil to Newcastle. I will say 1-0. I'm going to go for 1-1. Newcastle, Brentford, Ivan Tony on the score sheet. Extra point coming my way. If that happens, at West Ham, Fulham for you, Jonathan? Well, West Ham really needed that win against Wolves last week in a pretty poor game. Uh, but they were comfortable enough to winners in the end. Um, I think did deserve it. Uh, it's only their second win this season. Uh, they've suffered five defeats already. And they've only scored five goals, the second lowest in the league. That's a big problem for them as... Their raft of summer signings, I think, haven't quite settled, haven't quite fit in yet, although Skamaka, I think, is looking increasingly impressive. Um, the the posture for them is they've only let in nine, so that, that sort of moisey and solidity, I think, we are beginning to, to see. Um, Agued and Corne are both out. There's a doubt over Johnson, but Bowen, I think, should be back, which maybe will add to those attacking options. Fulham have had a great start of the season, three wins and two draws already, but... Pretty much everything that could have gone wrong against Newcastle went wrong. Um, they were already without Bellinia. Uh, they've lost Mitrovic to injury as well. Chalaba suspended. Uh, Wilson, Tete, Kazawa and Solomon 
uh, are all out as well. So I think this could be another West Ham win, 1-0. 2-0 to West Ham from me. Josh? 2-0 West Ham as well. 2-0 West Ham as well. Josh, hopefully you've done something for this one. It's Crystal Palace against Leeds. Palace could be without both Nathaniel Klein and Jochem Anderson this weekend, so changes look likely in defence. Apart from that, it's sort of as you were moving forward into midfield and attack. Uh, but Palace do need their fortunes to change because they've only won once in the league this season. That was back in August. They've conceded in all four home matches so far this season and a winless in their last three against Leeds. Leeds aren't really getting good results either, to be fair, at the moment. They're winless in four and will be without Lewis in his Sierra after his red card against Aston Villa last weekend. Archie Gray, Stuart Dallas, Adam Forshaw are also unavailable uh, for Jesse Marsh's side. The likes of Patrick Bamford, Luke Hayling and Matthias Klitsch will also hope to be looking for starts this weekend. Um, I don't really know... If I fancy this result, but I've gone for a 2-1 win to Leeds. Not sure about that. Jonathan? 1-0 Palace. 1-0 I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0. To, no, 2-1 to Crystal Palace. I'm going to go for. Yeah, Palace. I don't Palace have won many games this season. Don't tell me. Palace only won one game this season and it was against Villa. Against Villa. Yeah, it was. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely knew that was going to be. They've had a really say. tough, tough fixture list, haven't they? I, I, don't, I just Except feel that... that, that most of Patrick Vieira's managerial reign is him looking sad as something goes wrong for Palace in the last minute when they've played quite well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair reflection on his time, actually. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see the face perfectly there that, that he does. Yeah, I know what you mean. We're finishing then with the Monday night football, Jonathan, Nottingham Forest against Aston Villa. Yeah, which would have been a, a massive game for European champions in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, probably less, less high quality now. Forest, I think, is starting to to really show the problems of that summer of signing every player anybody's ever heard of and, and many that we hadn't. Five defeats in a row, conceded 18 goals in those games. Steve Cooper under under pressure, sporting directors coming in. I mean, just chaotic ownership. It's, it really seems to have broken the spirit of that club. And you you, you fear that they, they won't be able to get it back because they, they were desperately poor in losing to, to Leicester. Uh, they've already started 20 different players this season. And having said that, Villa have started 18 different players. Um, of course they have. They've they maybe improved slightly recently, five points from the last three, although only a 2-1 goal difference in those those games, and they couldn't break down Leeds, who down to 10 men for most of the second half. Uh, they're only two points uh, above the relegation zone and with six goals to the joint third lowest in the league. Um, I think they'll have enough, too much for Forest, though, so I'm going to say 1-0 to Villa. I've gone for 2-0 to Villa. I think it's short. It's curtains if... Gerard can't get a win against Forest, who also seems to only play on Monday nights, I feel, not seeing Forest. This will be the second Monday night football in a row. I've seen this show before. Forest 2, Villa nil. Haven't won in however however long. Haven't can't score, conceding loads. I've seen this dance many, many times. Nothing of us to Aston Villa nil. Let's conclude then with Brighton against Tottenham. And Jonathan, I said I watched that game, you know, pretty much. Deserby carrying on from where Potter left off. Brighton looked very, very good. So fun to watch. Some of the football they played going forward is magnificent. Yeah, no, I think they look really exciting. I mean, he's got a reputation as being a very, very attacking coach. Uh, I think maybe the 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 emphasis will shift to to uh, to, to being more um, willing to take risks than they were under Potter. Not that they were boring under Potter, but um, I, I, I think I think they will be involved in higher scoring games. Um, and I think he, you know, he he's been pretty impressive since he came in. You know, the stuff he was saying about building on Potter's foundations—that's exactly. If I were a Brighton fan, that's what I'd, I'd want to hear him say. That you know, he's he's not talking about revolution. He's not talking about ripping, ripping up what went before. It's talking about 
slow evolution towards his methods and um, scoring three at Anfield in your first game is a, is a pretty good start. I just think they'll be frustrated they didn't finish that off and get the win there, which they probably deserved. Yeah, and a big part of that game, Josh, was Leandro Trossard. Is he one of the most underrated players in the league? Sensational. Sensational at the weekend. Been really good. I feel he ended last season well and he's just picked up where he left off. Yeah, I think in Trossard's case, he's maybe a bit unlucky that it's taken so long for him to sort of, well, personally speaking, for him to sort of be recognised, I guess. Um, and I think it's probably bad timing as far as Brighton are concerned because his contract's up at the end of the season um, and it does sound like some of the big clubs are sort of at least looking at him. But I guess for Trossard, for club, for Brighton, I guess there was maybe an element that for a while under Graham Potter, we didn't actually know how good players were. We weren't sure whether it was due to Potter's coaching that he was elevating players. But um, but yeah, Trossard certainly falls into that bracket. And obviously for Belgium, you don't really see him as much because of the attacking quality that they do have. But he scored eight goals last season, um, which was his best ever return. He's on five already this season. A hat-trick at Anfield isn't a bad a bad thing to have on your sort of resume. Um, oh, and I, I saw, that for sure. Yeah. And I sort of remember in the 2020-21 season that he was, he just seems to hit the woodwork every time. I think he was ranked very highly for woodwork hit in that season. Um, but he really is just, I think, an excellent operator all around. I think technically he's very good. He's got a good burst of pace. Um, he's got a very quick train of thought. He's actually in our top 10 uh, Premier League player form rating. So we're bringing that back for the first time. I'll just run through the 10 quickly. It's Pickford in 10. A lot of Manchester City plays, I should say. Pickford in 10, Cancelo in 9, Bernardo Silva 8, Harry Kane gets in there in 7, Trossard in 6, Jesus 5, Madison in 4, uh, and then it's Foden, De Bruyne and Haaland. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Trossard does sort of get a bigger move at the end of the season because I do think he is a very um, good player. And, I, and I've said that he's underrated, but I've actually rated him there in our form rating. So... Um, yeah, great player. Joint fourth for three goals per game this season. Yeah. So it's not just goals, yeah. So he's behind Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne and slightly baffingly, Morgan Gibbs-White. <laughs> oh, that, that, is, that is baffling. He's, a, he's just an all-round a good, a good footballer, Trossard. He's, he's, he's easy on the on the, on the eye. does a lot of things very, very well. He's such a nimble as well. He yeah. comes up I, think he's, I think he's got... I mean, he doesn't really start for but I think he's got three goals for them this season, this year, sorry. Uh, so he's starting, to, think starting to make make an impression. He's very versatile as well. I think he, he plays in a lot of positions for Brighton, so they, I imagine that's quite appealing for any manager as well. Should they have gone to that three-man midfield that they ended the previous game with against Arsenal? Because that was kind of felt a little bit where, where they lost a, a bit of momentum in that game. I thought they were pretty poor against Arsenal. But actually saying that, if they'd have been they'd have, if they'd have had the final pass on the break, that game may well have turned out differently, but was there a case for Basuma, Hoyberg, oh, I can't even say his name, Hoyberg and uh, Benson Kerr? Maybe, but I understood what Conte was saying, that that uh, yeah, Arsenal that first or 20 minutes were, were really, really good. And I almost, I mean, yeah, maybe an excellent midfielder would have, would have slowed that. Um, but had Tottenham been more clinical on the breaks, I mean, even the, even the goal they did score was a terrible pass from Son that, that Richarlison managed to keep alive. Um, but you know, Son's passing, which you know, I've never sort of has never occurred to me, it might be an issue before, was was really off. So I, I'd be reluctant to say it was a tactical issue that cost them. Um, I, I think it was individuals didn't play well. Now, whether they could have played better in a different tactical system, that 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 may be true. Um, and it's always difficult when when a team's policy is 
to sit off, allow the opposition the ball, and then strike on the break. That when it goes wrong, it's very, very easy to point the finger and say, well, that was the issue. But the truth is, if if Son's passing had been better, then, I mean, not just him, but he, he was the one who, who sort of stood out. Then, then maybe Tottenham would have then taken the lead. And also, yeah, Emerson Royale, yeah, with a stupid sending off. That uh, If that hadn't happened, maybe they could have got back into the game. So possibly it would have made a difference. But I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that that was definitely a Conte error. Vintage Emerson Royale there in, in the Arsenal game. Basuma, you'd probably bring him back in for this one, wouldn't you, Josh? Obviously, he knows Brighton very well, but I just feel like he'll provide a little bit more energy and a bit more bite into that central midfield, and that, that kind of felt like it was something they were lacking in that Arsenal game, and maybe in the Champions League in midweek. It's similar to Casemiro, I guess, in some ways. It's a bit weird that Basuma hasn't really played an awful lot of football this Basuma's season. Basuma's ready thought. for the Premier League, though, isn't he? Like, yeah. you know, Casemiro, you can say he's played La Liga for, for however long, never played in the Premier League before. Basuma, Premier League, is that's his playground. Yeah, it's it's strange because obviously when that signing happened, it was sort of really praised as a, a really great signing for Tottenham, and it, I still like think it is. But it's just weird that he's not really had any sort of time on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I I do just find that when I said it sort of last week when we spoke about what's Tottenham's best front three, that I do just think Tottenham are missing something when Kulusevski's not on the pitch. Uh, I do think they sort of miss that, uh, like a sort of more consistent link between midfield and attack and Hoiberg and uh, Bentinka are sort of in there as sort of midfield destroyers who mm. maybe not, maybe not destroyers, but they're, they're happy to sit deep and soak up the pressure. And I think maybe you do see that missing link where they sort of rely on the front three too much. And if it doesn't go right, as Jonathan sort of alluded to, um, then the, the problems do sort of fall down. And obviously Son scored that hat-trick against Leicester and everyone sort of thought, that he was back, but he was absolutely awful against Arsenal. Like the final pass that Jonathan said was just so bad, so overhit, so wide, just awful. And I still, what I find really baffling about Conte is why they still are so insistent on using Emerson Royal as a main attacking outlet while they try and give, try and rely on him to sort of produce, give, give that high width when his final ball has consistently been so, so poor. And um, which I, so I don't really understand that part of the game. Um, and although I did see that apparently Emerson Royal spent a, a, nearly a million pounds I, on I saw that. Try, trying to Im, sort of improve himself as a football, which I think is great that he's like investing in himself, but we're not really seeing that. <laughs> not, it's not really paid dividends sort of on the pitch. Well, it's the equivalent um, of me spending a million pounds to become a better footballer. I'd still be crap at the end of it. Like yeah. he's <laughs> not the money in the world. I did. I, 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 he's a player I will never understand, Emerson Royal. Yeah, same, same for me. But uh, but just back to the sort of the midfield point, I do think it's this midfield setup is sort of not really something that well I personally would associate with Conte's teams down the years. If you sort of look at the midfield he had at Juventus, the sort of types of midfielders he had, obviously Pirlo, Vidal, and obviously Pogba sort of sprinkling in that magic between midfield and attack. Then at if for Italy at the Euros, he sort of managed to make Jacarini into that sort of player which she's previously never shown before. At Chelsea, he eventually used Cesc Fabregas to sort of um, link the midfield and attack. Um, and at Inter, he eventually used Christian Eriksen quite a lot in their in their title run. But at Tottenham, we don't really see enough of that. I, and it's certainly when Kulusevski's not playing. Yeah, it's um, a big miss. You you sort of miss that link. And Kulusevski has often been the one that's dropped out. And now, obviously, he's injured. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is 
I, I actually expected a lot more from Tottenham this season and I've been quite disappointed with them and Conte, but I'm because he's such a good coach, I, sh- I still think that he'll it will come come good for him at, and Tottenham at some stage, but it's been taking longer than I, th- I expected. Let's finish the podcast then with our score predictions because I'm going to have to go soon because I've been viciously attacked by the sun and have been through the entire podcast. Jonathan, your prediction for Brighton Tottenham? Uh, another 1-0 to Tottenham. 1-0 to Tottenham. I was going to go 2-1 to Tottenham. Josh? I've got bold. 3-2 Brighton. 3-2 Brighton. A couple of 3-2s in the predictions this week. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast by whoscored.com. Thanks ever so much for watching. Not sure why I felt the need to go through absolutely everything again. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on so you know when our next show is coming. Only one thing left to say. Enjoy all the football and stay safe. And that's two things. What a great end to the podcast. Mm-hmm.